0: I don't remember what age it was, but as a kid, my parents taught me how to ride a bike. Has anybody had that experience before? Did somebody ever teach you how to ride a bike? Um, I haven't had a bike since high school because somebody stole mine. <sighs> but, but, I know, you, you, can feel, you can feel my hurt um, deeply. Uh, y'all are laughing because my bike got stolen. I just want to point that out. Um, but, I guarantee you that if I had a bike in front of me, I could ride it. I think I could still ride it. Anybody, like, you, you guys know how to ride a bike. You, you don't forget that. Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't be able to, you know, do an Ironman or anything like that, but I could, I could ride a bike. And I bring this up because how dare my parents do that to me? You, you know what I mean? Like, how, how, what were they thinking in teaching me how to ride a bike? Because I've, I've gotten hurt riding my bike before. Everybody ever have, did you ever wreck when you rode? I wrecked. My parents taught me how to ride, ride a bike, and they knew that that could happen. I skinned my knees, I, I'll never forget, there was one time I was riding downhill pretty fast, and uh, some neighborhood jerk dog came out of nowhere. And um, I like dogs, this one was a jerk though, and it was well known to the neighborhood that it was. Came out of nowhere, kept me from being able to take the turn that I did. I ended up going into a ditch and flipping like over my handlebars and landing, thankfully, on my rear end, and so that was, fu- that was fine. But um, my parents knew the risk involved with learning how to ride a bike. They even saw me got, get hurt, I skinned my knee, you know, got a road rash on my hands, those kinds of things. And in the foolishness of my youth, I trusted them in learning how to ride a bike and continuing to get back on it and continuing to ride it. Okay. Uh, Maybe I'm laying that on a little too thick. I I get that, but um, I'm pretty sure you know that I'm kidding. (laughs) However, uh, what is true in life is that when we have painful experiences in life, we go from all kinds of different feelings. Our feelings kind of tend to run the gambit. We go from either blaming someone else for those experiences when life isn't perfect, all the way to I somehow have the power and ability to affect every cause and effect that happens in my life. Um, that's a pretty broad spectrum. And, and the truth is, and where things actually land on that spectrum, is that it depends. Dealing with pain and suffering is a normal part of the human experience. It wasn't supposed to be. God doesn't want it that way. God doesn't want us to have those types of things happen in our life. He doesn't want us to suffer. But it is evidence of a world broken by sin and our need for a Savior. And it's really important that as Christians, we evaluate our pain and our suffering from both a biblical and godly worldview and with the trust that God ultimately works things out to the good. We're looking at key areas that can either build up our faith or tear it down and pain and suffering and hurt are one of those things where we come to a crossroads and have to decide which way we're gonna go. Um, We're using the encouragement from Jude in chapter one. Well, there's really no chapters in Jude. It's just the one letter, but in verse 20, We're using this encouragement as we're looking at these different things in our life and our faith that we come up against. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And one of the things that has long been a deeply emotional question in regards to living by faith versus living by doubt is, what about pain and suffering? Listen, this is more than a fair question. Uh, May we never be dismissive when people in our lives have these kinds of questions and when they are wrestling with these things in our life. In fact, a little bit later on in that passage in Jude, he says, be merciful to those who doubt, because sometimes we come to experiences, uh, interactions with people in our life that cause us to question that if what God has said is true, really is. And so asking questions like, how could God allow a tsunami to kill hundreds of thousands of people? How is that a thing that exists in our world? Or, God, how could you allow a child to become sick and and die? Or, God, why do I have this uh, health problem, this physical, emotional, mental health problem? Why do I have this thing that won't go away? And I'm not going to pretend at all that in the course of a sermon that we're gonna deal with all of these things in a uh, very clear, helpful way that's gonna answer all of the questions that exist out there. There are much smarter men and women out there that have written about this uh, continually. Uh, you can check out C.S. Lewis' The Problem of Pain or Philip Yancey's Where it's God When It Hurts. I mean, so many, different, so many different things out there. And there's not a simple solution to this, but I think there is a reasonable one. And there's not a secret formula to this. If you just pray more and have more faith, it'll be perfectly fine. And actually, I've got this prayer cloth for three easy payments of 1995. Um, that's the key to a life of health and wealth and no pain. But I do want to ask you to consider this, that even if you and I don't understand it at the time, or even ever come to an understanding this side of heaven, we at some point as followers of Jesus have to recognize that God is a God of redemption, And resurrection and he is the one who makes reason and purpose and meaning and worthiness out of the unreasonable he does this with love grace mercy and justice he calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves to love our enemies pray for those who persecute you he does this uh, with pain and suffering on his own shoulders this is what Jesus does on the cross and we recognize that in some ways in life there's actually um, some good pain and suffering like we would say no pain, no gain. And we would look at people who spend time in a gym, for example, or who eat a very particular healthy way in their life, that um, I don't think life is worth the pain and suffering of living without pizza. Like, I, I'm just not, I'm not there theologically, um, and so we could talk about that. I'm not there, I'm not ready to give up ice cream. However, it's hard to argue against people who go to the gym and, and not complaining about the results that they're getting. Oh, I'm spending time, I'm working out, I'm getting stronger, I'm becoming healthier, like I can walk more. Um, I just worked out for an hour and burned calories, built muscle and stamina. I don't know why I put myself through this. You know, like, like that's not the thing that we complain, the results are not what we complain about. Um, pain is weakness leaving the body. You know, the reason that we say those things is we see that, hey, sometimes... Um, There are things that we need to go through for our bodies to, um, you know, make sure that we're uh, keeping it under wraps, you know, and and that it's functioning the way that it should be. Because otherwise, we just kind of let things just kind of happen. Augustine states in his confessions, this is a really early, you know, guy who wrote a lot about uh, the church and following uh, the faith. Everywhere a greater joy is preceded by a greater suffering. Is that always true, 100%? No. I don't think it is. However, there are a lot of times where the things that we experience that are uncomfortable are actually really good for us. And so that's a really helpful thing to know in our perspective that runs the gambit in life. Things that we've had to work hard for, things that we've struggled to achieve, um, the other side of suffering in those things always gives a better perspective for life. I was just talking with somebody yesterday at a birthday party, and they were talking about how their dad encouraged them, actually just got in their face and yelled at them to finish a marathon, (laughs) you know, and how thankful they were that they actually did follow through with that thing. Um, If you'd like to experiment with these things, like at the end of suffering, uh, a lot of good can happen as a result of that, Uh, find a kid and raise them. And there's, two, there's two, a couple different approaches, like you could find a kid and you could take them and you could say, I'm going to give you everything you want in life, and, and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you right now, I know what the end result's going to be, and it's not going to be good. <laughs> and you're going to have your suffering at the end of that relationship. Or um, you cannot give that kid everything they want in life, and I'm telling you, at the end of that, you're going to appreciate the fact that you went through that pain and suffering at the beginning instead of at the end. I know that's all generalities. But the same principle of how we go through suffering and pain and hurt in life, it has a lot to do with the perspective that we have and what God has to say about those things. Now, does this apply to things that happen in the world that are just plain evil? Um, Interestingly enough, pain and suffering, the problem of evil, are one of the things that arguably could could be the first thing that God ever addresses in Scripture. And the reason I say that is, A lot of people consider the book of Job, which some of you are familiar with, you've read through, we've done sermon series through Job, we've talked about these kinds of things, uh, to be the oldest writing uh, that we have in in the Bible. Uh, It's in the Old Testament, it's a really big, um, really big uh, text. And if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn there, we're going to read a couple different things from that. Um, It's wisdom literature. which. Uh, comprises prose and poetry and uh, centers around this question of what uh, what does God do about pain and suffering and hurt in life? There are two scenes at play here. We've got God in heaven juxtaposed with Job here on earth and the Satan argues to God that Job only follows God because his life has been prosperous and so God allows everything to be taken away. The Satan then says to God that of course Job would be willing to trade everything uh, for his personal health. So, yeah, okay, so he didn't turn away from you just because you took all his stuff, but what if you actually attack him personally? What is he going to do there? Um, and God allows the Satan, you know, to, to do his thing. He allows Job's health to be taken away. In the midst of this, Job's wife comes to him and says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Like, if you cannot figure this out yet, this has got to be evidence that God doesn't care about you at all. And he replied, and he said, you are talking like a foolish woman. I'm just, just a heads up, um, just in general, like this is the one context in, w- in which you should respond to your spouse. You're talking like a foolish woman. I, in general, you know, there's not other situations in which you should reply in that way. But if you find yourself in this situation, yeah, you, you, could, you could say that. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. In the midst of this, and listen, I'm distilling a lot that's happening in a very short, uh, short uh, way. Job's friends come to comfort him, and they do a great job. They come, they sit with him, sackcloth, ashes, like they're mourning with him. He's lost his family, he's lost all his stuff, he's lost his personal health, and they're hanging out with him. And it's an amazing thing, and it's very helpful to Job in that moment. For seven days and seven nights, they sit in silence together, and then they open their mouths. And as you keep reading, like Job's friends just, uh, I mean, every advice that they give, every thought about God, I mean, it's just wrong, it's not helpful, they're like, Job, you obviously have just been a horrible person in your life, and God is punishing you, and this is why you're suffering, and all of these things are happening, which is completely not true in this situation. it's a great lesson from friends. Uh, We've got to be real careful about what we say <laughs> in the moments of somebody going through hurt and pain and suffering, especially when we don't have that same shared life experience. But you know what d- goes a long way is being there, our presence for someone, sitting with them, listening, uh, being available, clearing our schedules for someone who's in the midst of those things. Um, Job, Job argues with him. He argues against this idea that God was punishing him for s- some sin, and Job's friends were empty comfort because they tried to explain away his pain and suffering rather than trying to help bear the burden in his life. Um, they say God is the type of God who punishes by causing pain and suffering, but this is, not, this is not true. Instead of buying into these things, though, instead of cursing God and dying, instead of buying into this idea that his friends had, had foisted upon him, uh, this is the type of faith upon which God rests throughout the whole of this ordeal. He was, he was presented with, here's how you can doubt God in this moment, but this is what he held on to. And this is from Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. And we're going to read a couple uh, other verses from this chapter as well, if you want to keep it open there. And this is what Job says. And there's a lot more that happens, but this is, this is kind of one of the, uh, the key moments in his faith. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. Yet after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. There's no denial from Job here that evil exists. Oh, it's just a construct in our mind. Like it's not a real thing that exists. No, there's, there's, this is real. This impact is real. It is significant. It's something that um, stops us in our track. But there is... A commitment in faith that regardless of how difficult it is to walk through whatever we find ourselves in, doing so in a godly way, choosing what God desires over what we desire in the moment, places us in a position to see God's redemptive work through our own eyes. And listen, I, I get, like, sometimes it's going to take a long time. It, it's not going to be, you know, here's a, here's a couple days of recovery, and it, sometimes going to be years, sometimes it's going to be multiple years. Uh, The God of the Bible, however, is the only one who has a sufficient response to the problem of human pain and suffering, and what its cause is, a world broken by sin, and puts himself on the hook for it by sending himself to take all of that suffering on, that is a result of sin, onto himself, through Jesus, on the cross, and defeat the enemies of sin and death. We could say God allows pain firstly because he allowed us a choice between faith in him and faith in ourselves. And a lot of the pain that we experience is just because of our sin, the the wrong things that we do. And we could say that God continues to allow suffering as a reminder that this world is not our home. I would love to give you an answer to pain and suffering that doesn't involve faith. In other words, I would love to stand here and tell you there is a reasonable explanation for every single thing that happens in our life. Um, I can't give you what that is, but I know that God does help us through whatever those things are to something that's much better on the other side. The enemy of pain is hope, and hope comes from God. And he calls us to earnestly seek him and believe that he is. And this is what Job holds on to. And so my encouragement to us as a congregation, as people who go through pain and suffering, not because we're supposed to, but because it is a normal part of the human experience and world that's broken by sin, is that instead of asking, or at least very soon after asking, why me? That we ask God in the midst of pain and suffering, what now? Because there, there is something on the other side. And, and that, is what, that is what Job says, even if my flesh fails, even if my, even if my skin is torn you know, with leprosy, all the things that he was going through, I will see the redemptive power of God at work. And that is what I'm going to hold on to. God's ultimate desire is for us to see redemption and resurrection happen in our lives. And this is one of the most encouraging things that other people experience from us when they go through those things. And we share the ways in which God has moved us through those elements of pain and suffering. One of the best things that we can do when we see somebody who's in the midst of something that we've experienced is is to be there with them and sit there with it and say, hey, I have been there too. And when you're ready to hear what God did in my life. I'm more than willing to, to share that, but in the meantime, I will sit with you in this as well. God's ultimate desire is that we would all be united in him and to him and to experience the hope and joy that consistent faith in him brings, and that promise is available to all of us. However, we have to have faith that God is going to do something greater than what we expect or think that we can accomplish on our own. There's so many more things that could be said about this, but I want to also want to address something that Job says right after his commitment to faith. This is in Job chapter 19, verses 28 and 20, uh, 29, in the midst of his suffering. And keep in mind that this is something that Job is saying to his friends that have accused Job of deserving of what he's experienced because of sin in his life. He says, if you say, how will we hound him since the root of the trouble lies in him? You should fear the sword yourselves, for wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment. Life was hard enough for Job, and the people who should have walked alongside of this with him were not helping him bear the burden. They were just adding to his load. Let me be really clear about this. There are times in our life where the consequences, the pain and suffering that we experience is a direct result of our sinful behavior and our sinful thinking and the ways that we go about life. And God calls us to repentance as a way for us to change direction and move away from those things. And that doesn't mean that magically all of a sudden all the consequences of the things that we've done in our past melt away and we don't see those things anymore. But it does help us to walk through those things with a different uh, different, um, way of thinking about why those things exist in in our life. Uh, That they're, they're helpful for us to recognize that there's a reason God calls us to a better way of living life. But one of the things that makes pain and suffering even worse is when we, we, uh, when we mistake the way in which God calls us to deal with and handle the pain and suffering in somebody else's life. Um, when it comes to building up our faith, one of the quickest ways we are tempted to tear it down is when the pain that we experience... Uh, comes from the church and this can this can happen in all kinds of ways you know sometimes we're humans right so sometimes it's interpersonal conflict sometimes we disagree on politics sometimes we have theology you know discussions that turn into debates debates and arguments and then church splits and everybody's angry at everybody Uh, there have been some horrific patterns associated with power and positions of authority and influence in the church we can, I mean, anybody who's looked at church history can see, like, we've got, some, we've got some dark days in there. And why? Why does that happen? Is there something wrong systemically within the church? Um, I would say no. Because Jesus says, this is, this is what I'm going to be the foundation, the cornerstone from, and this is where the hope of the gospel is going to come through. But there is something wrong with us. It's our brokenness, is our sin. Sometimes, like, we aren't just uh, receivers of pain and suffering. Sometimes we are, we are givers of pain and suffering. And we've got to recognize those things. And we've got to evaluate those things and consider how Jesus is actually calling us to live and interact with other people. Some of the problems that we see regularly uh, pointed out as evidence for why we should uh, trash our past church experiences need to be properly contextualized. Listen, um, let me be really clear about this. Not everyone who says they are a Christian actually is one. Um, and it's okay to say that. Because I know sometimes you're, oh, well, you're not supposed to judge people. Uh, yeah, absolutely, yes, you are. <laughs> we're especially supposed to, um, we're not supposed to condemn people. Uh, we're especially, though, supposed to judge one another in the church. Like, we're called to help each other Uh, We're called to accountability with one another. And when we see somebody who is not acting like Jesus, like it's our responsibility to have that conversation in relationship with someone and let them know, hey, uh, this is not the way of Jesus. This is not how Jesus calls us to live. Not everyone who has a following or is successful or in a position of influence is there because they should be. Um, Hopefully we know that. This person has a really large social media following. They've got a really big church, so I I need to follow everything they say. Um, That's not how that works. Um, Knowing the Bible, which we talked about last week, helps a lot with discernment in this. So we actually know what Scripture says, what God has to say, what Jesus actually taught and how he led. Um, But that's a problem with people. Not, not the big C church, because the big C church is responsible for a lot more good than it is, is harm. Because I think there are countless people throughout church history that despite things that we could look at and say arguments that we can make, it's like, well, this is where the church did a really bad thing. No, no this is where people in the church did a really bad thing. Um, that the reason why we still talk about Jesus and why lives are still being changed, transformed is because there are people in the church who are living out the way God calls us to in our relationships with others. But the question still remains, what do we do when someone in the church hurts us? Um, I have lived this personally. Some of you know some of my story. um, I'm not going to share that now. Um, I would just let you know I have lived this pain from churches. Um, I have spent years working through that, um, seeking godly counsel, um, several, several other approaches. And while I would st- consider myself on the other side of this, I still deal with the residual impact in my life. The reason I say this is just to let you know, like I, I'm not speaking as someone who is ignorant of these things and, and the experiences that people can have with the church. I've had some very bizarre experiences with people who call themselves Christians. Um, I've I've been put in some really uh, uncomfortable situations interpersonally with people uh, because they're just not acting like Jesus um, and had to deal with those things head on. And here are a couple things that I would say that we need to remember as followers of Jesus when we deal with these things. The first thing is what Jesus has to say in Matthew 18. I can't tell you how many times... um, people let problems build and compound and have issues in their life simply because they won't talk to anybody else about it um, or they won't let anybody else come and talk to them about it. Jesus says when we've got an issue, when there's something going on, like we, we gotta go talk to the person because otherwise, we might have this completely big blown out, blown out of proportion, misunderstanding, you know, issue with this person that maybe doesn't, maybe we just like misunderstood somebody's, you know, vocal tone or what they meant in the email or not that that ever happens, you know, right? Um, and, and, and we just need to be in relationship. Conversation in relationship is the way of Jesus. And sometimes this provides clarity on whether or not uh, this person um, or party is actually <laughs> following Jesus. Or or maybe there's just a misunderstanding and it's an opportunity for unity and growth to be shown in that relationship uh, between those people. Um, Listen, there are times where it is appropriate to leave or to ask someone to go. Uh, But most most situations that I think I see, uh, my lived experience is that most of the time people are not willing to have those conversations to even find that out. Uh, The second thing is this. Forgiveness can happen at a distance, but it must happen at some point. Jesus forgave us of everything that we've done against God, suffering on our behalf. Forgiveness is not saying that what the other person did was, is okay, and there's, there shouldn't be any consequences about that. It is saying, I'm going to let God handle this and hope for that person's right standing with him, even if there won't be a right standing between them and me. This is something I still have to work on. You know, one of the things, not moving forward in faith with these types of things, especially with the pain and suffering that comes, the hurt that comes from other people, is that cynicism and jadedness and bitterness come from a place of doubt and do not lead to the righteousness God requires at work in us through the Holy Spirit. Um, And one last thing I'll mention is that Christians often have an acute sense of right and wrong, especially when we're wronged, because how dare they? How dare they put us in that They should know better. I can't believe they made me feel that way with the way that they did this thing. But grace and mercy from our end is not only incredibly important, it is expected from God. Listen, you are going to be treated horribly by other people, unfairly, undeservedly. It's going to happen because people are broken by sin. And they are hurt, and they don't know how to move through that. And the only way that we are going to be the example that helps them move through that is to not respond with our own hurt or match their hurt to themselves. It's, it's not how Jesus engages with people, and he calls us to a different way forward. Um, listen, I, I get it. You've been burned multiple times in multiple relationships. So have I. I'm with you. However, um, moving forward with only that in mind uh, just does not make life worth it, and you're going to miss out on some of the most important and beneficial relationships in your life. One of the things that Jude says in verse 20 is he says, we, as we go along, we must pray in the Holy Spirit. And the reason he says this is because the Holy Spirit is our comforter, our counselor, and our advocate in these areas of our life. And the way that we don't hurt other people and that we treat them well, even when they hurt us, is moving th- forward with God at power and at work in our lives. Because I, I know I can't do this on my own. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 3, verse 4, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. Uh, stay at a church long enough and you're going to get hurt. Um, it happens because we're people and we don't always follow Jesus the way that we should. And the way that we change this and the way that it reframes our pain and suffering into something that God promises to work out to the good is that we practically live this humility out in our relationships that Paul calls us to. I want to give you one practical, this is the practical, most practical thing I can do this morning, uh, one final practical thing. There's a very deep theological truth um, and and Mike, just hold off on the yes. Don't don't show the other one yet. There's a deep theological truth for not causing pain and suffering in the church. Um, and and this is this is going to be life changing for you and for the people around you. And here it is. All right, Mike, we're ready. What does it say? Don't be a jerk. I, I mean. Listen, it, do, it doesn't mean that we, we can't disagree with uh, people. It doesn't mean that we don't, um, in the fullness of grace and truth, stand on God's word and communicate to others what, what it says, what it means, and how God calls us to repent and turn and follow him. But I, I, I tell you, there's so many things that um, would be different for us in a relationship and experience if we could just remember this deep theological truth. And that, just don't be a jerk. We can disagree um, vehemently. <laughs> you know, we can think the other person is is is, is maybe kind of dumb, um, and and I can't believe they can't see my experience, and I can't can't believe that you know they, they aren't convinced by my brilliant, you know, uh, philosophy and worldview based on on the text of of the Bible, and 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 cannot be convinced of that thing. Just don't be a jerk. Um, that that is something so clearly modeled by Jesus. Um, now, you could make an argument that uh, there's some things that he says to the Pharisees uh, that are kind of rude, and and I totally I totally get that. Let's be honest though, they deserved it, um, and they knew better. Uh, there's different ways that we can call out people based on the type of relationships that we have with them. Okay, and and I get that. So um, it doesn't mean that we're always you know, soft spoken and say, I would, I would please, you know, like for you to, to not, you know, cuss me out anymore and please stop hitting me in the face, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but there are ways that we can, we can approach this uh, that is godly. Um, so, what happens when we disagree with somebody in politics and we think that their way of living out the gospel is completely and utterly um, anathema to, to the Bible? Don't be a jerk. Uh, what about people who have different lived experiences? They struggle with different sins. That you, it doesn't mean you don't call that out and say this is what the Bible says. Uh, but you don't have to be a jerk. Uh, what about people in the congregation? How should we how should we interact with them? How about don't be a jerk. Like the thing that I'm not going to assume is well this other person well they didn't come and tell me hi. Well did you go tell them hi? <laughs> Maybe this is their first time here and they don't know who you are and don't know anything about what's going on. You know, the way that we, the, the way that we assume things, the way that we interact with people, uh, let's, let's just not be a jerk. Um, faced with a choice when it comes to building up our faith in the face of hurt, we can either pursue healing or see nothing but our pain. Job chooses to trust in the hope that he would see the redemption of God in his life even if everything else in his life was destroyed and his relationships uh, were not where they needed to be. And the reason that he's able to continue, we are able to continue to hold on to that same kind of faith, is because this is what Jesus' pain and suffering on the cross makes possible, is that he took all of the brokenness and consequences of our sin on his shoulders. Um, and that is something that we celebrate every week at Velocity. We take communion together. It represents Jesus' pain and suffering on our behalf, our undeserved redemption and resurrection through him. Um, And that is the way God approaches these things. Um, And so we're going to share in that time together. We've got a couple different tables around the room um, with bread and and juice to celebrate uh, the fact that Jesus loves us in this way, self-sacrificially, through his broken body and his shed blood. So I'm going to pray for that, and then we're going to share in that time of communion right now. God, we thank you for um, dealing with real life in the Bible. And God, we thank you for the example of uh, men and women uh, throughout the text who show that there, there's just a different way forward in life. Uh, that the very, you know, natural ways that we can get caught up in culturally, uh, in society, the ways that we're, you know, told that we should interact with people, or how we should treat them, or how we should think about the things that happen in life, um, that, that there's, a, there's a, diff- a different way, there's a better way through you. And so, God, we just ask that you give us the strength that we need through your Holy Spirit um, to, uh, to build up our faith as we wait uh, and hope and trust in the joy that is to come, that can only come through your your son, Jesus. God, we praise you for this. We honor you for this. Uh, we ask that you give us the strength to live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.